Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. All right, well, we are in week number three of our series that we're we're calling Four People. And it's very, very easy to figure out who we're supposed to be against in this world that we live in today, correct? Uh, We have no shortage of voices telling us who and what we're supposed to be against But this series is all about asking the question, who is Jesus calling us to be for? And so the last couple weeks, what we were doing last week and then this week, is we are looking at a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a story about these two different sons. And Jesus tells this parable to show us how God feels about lost people. That God is for lost people and he has a heart for lost people. And so what this parable teaches us, last week, if you were here, you know, we looked at kind of act one. We looked at the first uh, son, the younger son, and today we're going to look at the older brother in the story because this parable shows us that there are actually two different ways to be lost. One is by being very, very bad. The other way to be lost is by being very, very good. And so this picture, this parable that Jesus tells paints a picture of how God feels about us lost people in our world when when we have walked away from God, but also when we have stayed and we have worked through our own goodness and our own merit. I have this thing that keeps happening to me in my family. As I get older and older and older, I think, I don't know what it is, if I've just reached a certain age or if my kids, uh, our boys are all teenagers now, if they've just reached a certain age and that's why it's happening. But I don't even know when it's about to happen. It, It like takes me off guard. It happens suddenly and I'm always surprised when it happens but, but what's been happening is my boys will say something or they'll do something and then I will turn and something my dad used to say will just like fly right out of my mouth. Has anybody else had this phenomenon happen to them as they get older? It's still, I remember as a kid being like, man, I'm never going to say that to my kids. But I, it's, it just keeps happening. The other day, my son Andrew, who's graduating from high school, was, was saying, he was talking about what he's going to do after high school and his plans. And I, I looked right at him and I said, Andrew, you know, people aren't going to pay you good money to do what you want to do. And then it was like, what? Where did that come from? My dad used to say that to me. How did that? I never thought that was going to happen. Uh, one of my other sons was laying in bed, not getting up in the morning, getting ready for school. I walked in and I said, hey, buddy, feet on the floor. And dad goes out the door. Like, what? where does this? My dad used to say that to me. He'd come in my room and say, I, I have no idea why this keeps happening. And so I've been thinking about this. And trying to, to wrestle with why my boys make fun of me, my wife makes fun of me endlessly for this. Why does this keep happening right now? And here's the only explanation I have. While it only took me one day to move out of my father's house, my father's house still has not moved out of me. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what we saw last week when we looked at the younger brother. In the story Jesus tells, the younger brother demands his share of the inheritance early basically says to his father, I wish you were dead. And he takes his inheritance and he leaves his father's house. And in one big move, he leaves his father's house, but then he finds himself face down in the gutter. He's in a moment of crisis 
And what we see is that even though it took him only one day to walk out of his father's house, his father's house still has not left him. He knows where home is. He knows where he belongs. And so he has this moment where he gets up and he turns and he comes back home to his father. But what we're going to see today in the older brother is that the, actually the opposite is kind of true of the older brother. The older brother has stayed in his father's house, and yet his father's house has still not totally gotten into him. That's the problem the older brother is facing. And we see this when we look in the mirror. For so many of us, uh, when it come, if we've grown up in church, or even if we've just been following Jesus and at a part of church for years and years and years, the, the situation that we find ourselves in is that, you know, it's, it's very fast and easy to get people into church, but it takes a long time to get the church into people, to where people actually see themselves as the church, and we actually see ourselves as I am the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ in the world. That is a much harder and much lengthier journey. It's easy to get Jesus into your life. It's a moment. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a moment where we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives and we invite him into our lives. It's, it's quick to get Jesus into our lives. But what we're doing with the rest of our lives after that is we're trying to get our lives into Jesus. It's called the process of sanctification. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure that out. And so as we look at this story this morning, the, the biggest problem with older brothers, as we're going to look at this story, is that you don't think you are one. When you're an older brother, you don't think you are an older brother. You think you've got it. And I'll just tell you, this past week, as I have looked at this passage of Scripture and as I've uh, prepared to be able to share this, I've been convicted afresh of the older brother that lives inside of me. Uh, this sermon could very easily be titled Confessions of an Older Brother. And so if you find yourself kind of, as, as we go through this story, if you find yourself kind of going, oh yeah, that looks a little too familiar. There's something about that that just reminds me a little bit of me. You're in good company. And I think that was the point of why Jesus was telling this. Because when you're an older brother, you often don't realize you are one. So here's where we're going to pick up the scripture. It's Luke 15, verse 25. The younger son has just come home, he, and he's had this notion like, maybe I can work my way back into the family. But the father throws a robe around him. He throws this huge party for him. He kills the fattened calf for him, and now a new struggle arises in the family. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I mean, really, how do you celebrate if there's not a young goat involved in some way? We understand this. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? He's, he's literally like, Dad, are you serious? This is what you do when, when this son of yours comes home? What I want to do here in the next few minutes is I just want to give you two ways you can spot an older brother. Two very, very clear ways from this passage of Scripture that you can spot an older brother, whether you're looking at one in the mirror 
or whether you're looking at one somewhere else in your life, how do you spot an older brother? The first way you can spot an older brother is anger. Older brothers are angry Christians. That's what they are. I don't know if you picked it up there in the language that was used, but the older brother, when he's talking to the father, he calls his brother this son of yours. So when this son of yours comes home after squandering his, his wealth on prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him, he's angry and he doesn't want to acknowledge that this, bro, that this is his brother. He's, he's basically saying this is somebody else's responsibility. This son of yours, mainly it's the father's responsibility. He's not my problem. He's your problem. And this is what you're doing, really? And not only that, but you, you just see like this anger pouring over him in, in terms of like, what is he most angry about? What is it that he's so fired up and so ticked off about? Did you catch it? He's angry about the money. That's what he's angry about. He's angry about the cost, the fattened calf. You, you, you killed the fattened calf for him, the most prized possession of the family? See, the older brother, he cares about the father's things, but he doesn't necessarily care about the father's heart. Something that we miss in our culture is that in ancient Middle Eastern culture, actually the younger brother coming back home like this, would have, in this party that's being thrown, it would have been thrown at the expense of the older brother. Think about it. The younger brother, he took his inheritance early, right? And he went and he squandered it all. His inheritance is gone. So when the father throws this huge party, this expensive party, and kills the fattened calf, the prized possession, Whose inheritance is he dipping out of to make this party happen? The older brother. Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, talks about this dichotomy that in last week when we looked at the younger brother, the younger brother, in a sense, is trying to get control over the father by leaving. Like, fine, I can't have my way. I'm going to take my inheritance. I'm going to go now. He's, he's trying to get control over the father by leaving. But in a sense, the older brother He's actually trying to get control of the father too, but he's trying to get control of the father by staying and by being good and by doing all the right things and achieving all the right results. And when he can't control the father, despite his good behavior, he is angry. He's mad about it. Have you noticed over the last year how angry Christians have become? Anybody else notice this? We are angry as Christians. I, there, I'm not kidding you. Over the last year, there is not a week that goes by where I as a pastor do not interact in some way or another, whether online or in person, with somebody who is just an angry Christian. We are angry right now. We're angry about our rights. We're angry about masks. We're angry about vaccines. We're angry about LGBTQ rights. We're angry about whether the church should open up again. We're angry about whether the church should not open up again. We're angry about conspiracy theories. I and mean, the list just goes, we're angry about racial issues, critical race theory. We're, we're angry about all kinds of stuff. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll be very honest with you, I've gotten swept up in it too. There's been periods over this last year where I found myself just really angry because these are important issues, correct? These are really important issues and it's okay to have strong opinions about these important issues. I have strong opinions about these issues. There's no way I could tell you you shouldn't have strong opinions about these issues. 
But what I want you to see here is that what Jesus does in this parable, and really it's what Jesus does in all of his parables, is he keeps inviting us back to turn our attention and our focus back on people. These are not just important issues. This is all about important people. Important people. See, what happens is when we begin to elevate issues over people in our lives as Christians, what happens is we, become, we, we begin to become more ingrown and more and more angry. And eventually you get to a point where you've elevated issues over people for so long where you're really more defined by what you're against than what you're for. And Jesus again and again invites us to be for people. This parable, all all of Jesus' parables really are all about people. See, what the older brother doesn't realize as he's arguing with the father is he doesn't realize how out of sync his anger is with the father's heart, with the father's passion, with the father's love and concern for his younger brother. This son of yours are you kidding me? He squanders all this property? You're just going to kill the fat and calf for him? You've got to be kidding me. What's interesting is when you read through the New Testament over and over and over again, the New Testament does not just talk about what kind of relationships we should have. The New Testament talks about how we should be in relationship with one another. It talks about all these verses that talk about one anothering and talk about uh, how we should engage with one another. I'll give you just a couple of examples. That's about all we have time for. This is Colossians 4.6. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So when you get triggered, and you will, at some point, somebody's going to say something, they're going to trigger you, some, some comment, some uh, issue will come up, and it's going to trigger you. Let your conversation about that be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone, because your response is your responsibility, Somebody else might trigger you, but your response is your responsibility. One more. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may actually benefit those who listen. I wonder if if this verse could apply to uh, online comments, the comments section online. Do not let any unwholesome text come out of your thumbs, right? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may actually benefit those who listen. See, older brothers, they have a problem with these verses. Older brothers go, yeah, okay, yeah, but, but, okay, okay, yes, there's there's a mountain of verses like that, but, but, we need to stand for truth. We need to speak truth. And I, and I would say, yes, we do. I absolutely agree. We do need to speak truth in our world right now, but we're always called to do it in Love, that's right. Older brothers have a problem with that. They're angry. They're just angry Christians. That's the first way you can spot an older brother is that they're angry. The second way you can spot an older brother is they need constant assurance of the father's love. They need this constant assurance of this father of their father's love. They're never quite settled and resting and satisfied with where they're at, with their current level of spiritual achievement. You notice the biggest problem that the younger brother, or I'm sorry, the biggest problem the older brother has is he says, why didn't you throw me a party, right? Why didn't you throw me a party? I've been here this whole time. I've been working and slaving away, but you never threw me a party. 
But, but, you know, this son of yours comes home and you throw him a party. That's what you do for this guy who's just done all these horrible, stupid things. And the reason that he, he feels this way is because he's not sure where he sits. He's been trying to work his way into his place in the family. He's constantly comparing himself to his brother, and he's wondering if his brother is getting a better deal. And the reason for that is because in his mind, being a part of this family, the way you get your seat at the table in this family is through your achievements, through your efforts, through your goodness, through your results, through your work. That's how you get it. That's how you get and you maintain your seat at the table. See, when you're constantly comparing yourself to another person, when you're constantly in this game where you need the assurance of your father's love because it's based on your merit, your achievement, your hierarchy of goodness, what actually happens is you actually can't focus on somebody else. You can't care about a younger brother when you're in that position. You literally can't. You may, you may even, you might want to. Something that you might be like, you know, I really should. You can't because you need it to be about you all the time. You constantly need it to be about you because in your mind, you, you've turned every relationship into a competition of who's better, who ranks high, who ranks low, where do I fit in that kind of pecking order, where is this? And when we live like that, when we focus our attention and our minds like that, we literally can't have the same heart the Father has for the younger brothers of our world. We can't. We don't have the ability to do it because we are too in need of the assurance of the Father's love ourselves. We're not okay. So the question I want to ask is, what does God actually say to an older brother? It's right here in the text. What does God say to, to an older brother? Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Some of the most powerful words in the entire New Testament. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, the first thing I want to point out to you there is that I want you to see that the father calls the older brother back to relationship. You see what he calls him? He says, this brother of yours. Remember what the older brother called his brother? This son of yours? And the father says, no, 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 this is, this is your brother. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was lost and now he's found. He calls him back to relationship. He calls him back to the person, to the relationship that he's in with his brother. And then this line, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But what, he, what he's saying in this moment of assurance to the older brother is he's saying, look, your security is not in question. Your identity is not in question here in the family. As my friend Greg Dempster says, there's nothing to gain, there's nothing to lose, there's nothing to prove. See, when we, when we have really understood the gospel, when we've really embraced Jesus as our Savior, what happens is he, his identity becomes our identity, and our place in the family becomes secure, and we're no longer having to work for that. We're no longer having to climb this ladder of goodness and, and results. And so what happens is we, le- we begin to learn how to rest in that. We rest in his finished work for us on the cross, just like we were singing about a little bit ago. We rest in who he is and what he's done for us. And then when we are in that place, when we've learned to really embrace that as our identity, then what happens is our entire center of gravity begins to shift and we begin to live out of a totally different center of gravity. 
where in our lives we're able to actually turn and look at someone else who doesn't have that relationship with the Father. They don't have that vertical relationship. And when we look horizontally at them, we look at them and we go, oh, if only you had what I have. If only you could rest the way I'm resting. If only you could have that assurance that I have. When we have it, we want it for other people. When we don't have it, our lives are about a quest of trying to beat everybody else out so we can get it. And that's the situation the older brother is in. My wife, Carrie, used to work uh, for a few years in the foster care system. She worked at St. John's Home as a nurse. And so she worked the shelters where kids, when they've, um, if there's a child that's been removed from their parents' custody, they are placed in the shelter if they have nowhere where they can be, where they can go, if there's no foster parent where they can go. And I remember uh, one time my wife and I were out on a walk and she was telling me about this kid who had come into the shelter where she was at. And day after day, she would watch this kid and he had the same routine. This little boy, what he would do is every morning he would wake up and he had a backpack that he came into the shelter with. And so what he would do is he would wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, he would pack all of his stuff into this backpack and then he would sit on the bed with his backpack beside him and he would just wait. And then as the day went on, he would slowly unpack the backpack as he needed things that were in the backpack. And then the next morning, again, the same thing. He would wake up, pack everything in the backpack, sit on the bed, and he would just wait. She said she watched him do this for a few days in a row, and finally it dawns on her what's happening. He's waking up every morning, and he's thinking to himself, maybe today will be the day that they come get me and they take me home. And so he packs everything into the backpack because he wants to be ready and then he sits on the bed and he's waiting because when they come, if they come to get him today, he wants to be ready to jump up and walk out the door. And then as the day goes on and nobody comes, he begins to unpack the bag and he goes through this whole, every single day, it's just this series of disappointments every single day. And she's telling me, and it, be, and it makes her weep. It literally broke her heart to the point where it made her weep. It made her cry when she saw this kid and when she saw what he was going through. And the reason it broke her heart and it made her weep is because she looked at this kid and she thought to herself, somebody needs to tell that kid that he has a heavenly father that will not abandon him, that has not forgotten him, and that loves him and is coming for him. See, if you don't know that father vertically, you can't tell someone else about that father. If you don't have that yourself, when was the last time that you looked at the plight of another human being and it wrecked you? Because you just saw the decisions, you saw the brokenness, you saw the, the, the processing in their head of what they must be thinking about themselves to do these things and make these decisions, and you watched them go down this path and you just thought to yourself, oh, if you could only know my father the way I know him. See, older brothers don't experience that. Older brothers don't have those kind of moments. They can't because everything is about them. Everything is turned inward to them. One thing that we often miss in this parable is that Jesus actually told three parables back to back in Luke chapter 15. It's, it's part of one continuous conversation Luke records where Jesus is actually um, surrounded by sinners and tax collectors and the religious people are looking on. And so Jesus actually tells three parables in a row. The first one is about 
a shepherd who, who has 100 sheep and he loses one. And so he leaves the 99 sheep behind and he goes on this all-out search to find the one sheep. Second story he tells is about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. And so she turns her house upside down. She goes on this all-out search to find this one coin. And then the third story Jesus tells is the parable of the lost son. It's a father who has two sons and one of them takes a share of the inheritance and he's lost. He leaves home. But in this third story that Jesus tells, nobody goes on a search. There's no search that's made. The younger brother has to hit rock bottom and decide to come home on his own. Nobody goes looking for the brother. No one goes looking for the younger son. And the point that Jesus is trying to make there is there's a search, there's a search, and then there's no search. Who was supposed to go on the all-out search looking for the younger brother? It wasn't the father. The father is the one who was left, right? He was the one who was abandoned. The person who was supposed to go on the search looking for the younger brother was the older brother. But he doesn't. He can't. Because he's too consumed with his own need for assurance of the father's love. And there, in, in, you know, in that moment, that's where you really see the gospel. Don't miss this, because that's where you see the gospel message. What Jesus is trying to point out to us here, what he's trying to get us to see is that this younger brother and the story that he tells, he has an older brother who doesn't go looking for him, who doesn't even care that he's returning. He doesn't come into the celebration, doesn't come into the party for him. He's literally like that kid sitting on the bed with his backpack. There's nobody coming for him. But not you. That's not your situation. Because you had the true older brother. The true older brother who left heaven and came to earth in an all-out search for you. And he brought you back into the father's family at the expense of his own life on the cross. Jesus is the true older brother in the story. He, he is the things that we're not supposed to be. And so the only response we can possibly have, when you actually get that, when you actually understand who you are in Christ and what the gospel has actually done, it changes everything in your life. It changes everything in the way that you look out and see everybody else in the world. And the only real response to that is to live sent as an older brother on a search. That's the only response we can have to that, is to live our lives sent as an older brother on a search. And this, this is a thing that we have to actually say yes to. Lord, would you, would you do this? Would you show me who you're sending me to? I believe if we pray this, if we begin to say this to God, God, would you show me how to live sent as an older brother on a search? I believe God is going to send you into the marketplace. He's going to send you into the foster care system. He's going to send you into the school system. He's going to send you into the neighborhoods, into the gyms, into the high places, and into the low places to live sent as an older brother on a search and rescue mission for younger brothers. That's what we're called to. I saw this happen in my own life, um, even just this past week. This past week on Monday morning, I got up and I, I was getting prepared to go in for my fifth round of chemotherapy. By, by the way, I, I sent an out, a big update out about this, but in case you hadn't heard, I got really good news this past week. Um, the scans that were just done showed that there was actually on the scans, there was no detectable trace of the cancer uh, after all the, the chemotherapy that's happened. And um, I'm not out of the woods yet. I still need your prayers. I still would like your prayers. I still, I have a couple more. I have one more round actually that'll finish up in the middle of May. 
And then uh, my, my doctor believes I will be in remission again once we hit that point. And so uh, God has just been so good. You guys have been amazing, and your prayers have just um, been so amazing through this time. And so Monday morning, I'm getting up, and I'm going in for my fifth round of chemotherapy, and I just said the prayer. It's the same prayer I've prayed every morning on those mornings when I've woken up, and I just said, God, show me who you're sending me to today. Show me who you're sending me to today. So I got there, and on, uh, on Monday, in this particular day, my nurse took me back to, if you can picture it, there's this large room with all these infusion chairs. So it's all these people lined up just getting infusions um, in the cancer center. And so when we walked into the room, all the chairs were full. That's usually where I'm at, is in this large room. And so she said, well, all the chairs are full. I'm going to have to take you into one of the private rooms. And so for the first time, she took me back into one of these private rooms, and the private rooms are for the, the more seriously ill people. So we go back into the private room, and it's just me and one other guy. There's just two chairs in this private room. The man in his mid-60s, we sit down in these chairs together, and we're going to be there for the next few hours getting chemo infusions together. To me, it could not be any more clearer who God had sent me to that day. So we just sit there, and we just, I just begin to ask him about his life, just begin to ask him about what's happened. Here's what he told me. He said, in March 2020, he and his wife were both diagnosed with cancer, different kinds of cancer. Him with leukemia and her, I can't remember what he said her cancer was. Can you imagine getting that news in March of 2020 when COVID was hitting and everybody, everything was freaking out and shutting down? You get that news too? Uh, she lost her battle with cancer in June. She passed away. And he told me, he said, she always had, she was very religious, he said. She had like a really strong faith. And she always wanted that for me and prayed, prayed that for me. And so we just began to talk. And what he's being told uh, by the doctors right now is that the leukemia he has, that he won't get the news that I got. He's not going to make it to a remission. They don't believe that's possible in his situation. And so the chemotherapy he is getting is a very strict regimen. And it's basically to keep him out of hospice as long as he possibly can. The question I asked him, I just said, how do you deal with that? Where do you go? Like, how do you deal with that, with your wife, with the news you're getting? You know what his answer was? I try not to think about it, what he said. I just try not to think about it. Then he said, well, how do you deal with it? So in that moment, I got a chance to share my faith with him. I got a chance to share with him where I go, that the person of Jesus is the greatest hope that I have in this world and in my life, and that I believe that this isn't all there is. And that I think his wife probably knew that and understood that too. And then I, when it was time to go, we had a great discussion. And when it was time to go, I got up first. I was allowed to leave first. And I just said to him, I called him by name. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you every single day this week. And I have prayed for him every single day this week. See, when you say yes to this, when you say yes to Living Scent as an older brother on a search and rescue mission for younger brothers, it, it's not just that God sends you into the high places, the really fun places of life. He'll also send you into the really hard things you go through in life, into the places where you're suffering, into the places where things are not together, where even into the places of your life where things are broken. He'll send you there too. And as he does it, he will actually redeem He'll redeem your suffering. So I want you to sit here with this for a moment. The man's going to sing a song over you. 
and the words are gonna be up here on the screen. I just want you to sit. I want you just to let these words wash over you. And I want you to wrestle with, where is God sending you right now? Where is he calling you to live sent? Just that simple prayer. God, show me who you're sending me to. And then when we're done with this song, I'll get back up and I'll pray for us as we respond. Sound good?